I want you to uh, think back, uh, for some of you, it might be not that long ago, but uh, I want you to think back when you first started to uh, learn how to read uh, as a child. Maybe for some of you, like me, a grandparent, it's easy, you know, easier to look at my grandkids and to remember than it is for me to way, go way back there. But, but when uh, children first begin uh, to learn how to, how to read, before they could actually spell or or, or, or read words for themselves. It doesn't deter them from uh, looking at children's books, you know, especially, you know, children's books that are uh, illustrated books. In fact, some of them, maybe the, the very ones for the youngest of children, uh, don't contain many words in it at all, uh, but have just this, these pictures. And pictures tell a story. And I'm sure you've heard the familiar phrase that, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Uh, well, in the Word of God, God has communicated both by His written Word, His spoken Word, uh, and also by the pictures that He has presented to us uh, in the Scriptures. And, and this morning, we want to, uh, like the children that we are, we, we, we want to take a look at some of the pictures that God has uh, provided for us uh, in the Word of God that reinforce the principles and the truth uh, of Scripture. And uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit has provided for us, uh, just like little children, uh, pictures of, of truth so that we would be uh, just believing in the promises of God. And, and throughout this series, we've been talking about the promises of God. And I want to talk to you this morning, uh, continuing in this message. I'm going to need another week to complete this, this one frame of thought that we're talking about. But, but I want you to realize that the, 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 the Old Testament, you know, is, is not an inferior part of the book. You know, we have, we have one Bible uh, comprised of 66 different books, but it's really just one book, one author, one, one basic theme. And the essence of the message of the book is Jesus Christ. And it's the revelation of him. And, and the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus. But, but what I want you to do is I want you to, to realize that God has been, has been laying a foundation in the old with pictures so that we would understand the principles in the new. For instance, and this is the authority by which I can share this message with you this morning, Romans 15, verse 4. Uh, it'll be up on the screen and you can look at it. It says, for everything... Everything, not just some things, but everything that was written in the past, that is in the old covenant, was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And hope is such an important component to the elements of faith that, that God wants us to be strong in, in him and strong in faith and strong in, in hope. Uh, so some children's books, and I was going to bring a couple this morning, but uh, figured you probably couldn't see them from way back there. But, but uh, my grandkids, we, we, we have in our basement, we have a bookcase with all children's books. And uh, the, the youngest one, Landon, who I was holding a little while ago in service, he loves books. He, he loves, he can't read yet. Uh, he, he surprised me the other day, Cal. He spelled his name. He knew how to spell his name. So that was cool. But, but he loves books and he, and he loves to tell stories. So it's no coincidence that he loves to tell stories and he loves to, to look through books. In fact, the other day I walked in 
uh, to Arden, and uh, all the kids were over, and, and actually Ian was reading a story to Landon. He was like kind of sitting right next to him on the couch, and it was so cute, you know? But, but Landon loves to tell stories, you know? Uh, he loves to look through books, and he, he, and, he, and he invents these stories. In fact, some of them are really pretty funny. Uh, he said when he was 24 years old, uh, he won the Cupcake Wars and won $10. And he also tells a story about how he was run over by a bus and, and his cousin Ian was driving the bus. And it's funny, I just realized th- this morning that that story probably came from Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. You know, and it was a, it was a story about a, a pigeon, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. But, but kids are so cute, and, and they learn through stories. And in childlike faith, we likewise have got to assimilate the stories that are in the Word of God that help us formulate the, the, the precepts and the principles of God. So what I want to say is please, please don't neglect the Old Testament. Don't look at it as an inferior part of the book. It's, it's all one uh, author-inspired book. So I want to talk to you this morning about one of uh, the Bible's heroes. And uh, as the video uh, saw this morning, uh, there was a verse from the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua is the end of the old wandering in the wilderness of the children of Israel, and it's the beginning of of a new life in the land of promise. And we've been talking about the promises of God and possessing the promises of God through both faith and persistence or patience. We possess the promises of God. Joshua uh, is the successor of Moses. And we, and we first uh, begin to see Joshua as the servant of Moses. He, Moses is the servant of the Lord, but, but Joshua is the servant of Moses. And he, he waits upon Moses. So one of the first lessons I think that's important for successful leadership and successful living in Christ is that we have a servant's heart. And Joshua had a servant's heart. He cared about, he cared about those that were over him and those that were under him. And we're going to see that specially played out this morning as we, as we look at the life of Joshua. But the book of Joshua displays the sovereign grace of God. It displays the the, the mighty acts of God on behalf of his people. But it also, it also speaks about their responsibility that while they were entering into the land, they had to dispossess the inhabitants of the land. In other words, there was a work for them to do. They had to discharge their responsibilities. That before they could enjoy the promised land, they had battles to overcome. They had opponents to, to subdue. And, you know, the Christian life is just like that. You know, we, we enter into, we've been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. We've been delivered from the powers of darkness. But in our deliverance out of darkness, that's when the battle really begins. And from, from, from that moment until the moment the Lord takes us home, uh, we've got to fight the good fight of faith. And we've been enlisted in the, in the army of God. One of the visions or pictures, if you will, of Joshua uh, that helps us to understand the kind of building of his character was that as he waited upon Moses, uh, Moses would go into what was called the, the tabernacle of meeting or the tent of meeting. And there he would speak to God as if it were face to face. And, and Moses would receive instruction and direction from the Lord. And, 
And, and Joshua was in hearing distance of the door of the tabernacle. And when Moses finished speaking with the Lord, Joshua, the Bible says, lingered in the presence of the Lord. So it tells us that Joshua desired to cultivate a personal relationship for himself with God, and he trained himself to hear the voice of God. Now, one of the most important things is in training ourselves to hear the voice of God is that we know the written word so that we can then discern the still, soft voice of God. But I want you to know that hearing is so vitally important for us as believers in Christ. The ability for us to receive direction and, and to receive the, 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 the Holy Spirit's uh, communication to our hearts, that we be led by the Spirit of God. For they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. I'll tell you about a, a man by the name of Eric Weimayer. And uh, when he was 13 years old, he had, he had a degenerative eye disease that produced complete blindness. But that didn't stop him from, listen, climbing Mount Everest. In May 25, 2001, he reached the peak of Mount Everest, though he was blind. How did he do it? Listen, in a mountain where only 90% of the people that ever attempt to, to climb its peak ever make it, 165 people have died since 1953 in their attempt to to, to, to do that, but he did it. And one of the reasons why the large measure of his success came because he learned how to listen well. He listened to the climber in front of him who had a tiny bell on his backpack, and he listened as to the direction as to where he should go on the basis of his hearing. And then he also listened to the men in the team that shouted out to him, you know, death fall two feet from your right, and he would know where not to go. And he would also listen to the sound of his ice pick as it dug into the ice, whether or not it was safe to continue to climb. Beloved, in this journey, you know, which is likewise perilous for us, you know, it's dangerous. It's, it's, it's filled with, with uh, all kinds of obstacles. One of the most important things that we could do as believers in Christ is to learn how to hear the voice of God that still soft voice directing us, go in this direction, don't do this, do that. The only way that we could fully come to a place of appreciating and, and discerning the voice of God, as I said a moment ago, is you've got to first know the written word because God will never contradict himself. The Holy Spirit will build precept upon precept until we become so familiar with the voice of God that we'll know at a crucial moment that the Lord is directing us to go this way or to go that way. The next storybook picture that we have of Joshua was a test of his courage and of his obedience. The Amalekites were attacking the fringe part of the camp of Israel. They were raiding it and, 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 and causing damage. And so Moses said to Joshua, take out fighting men now and go and battle against Amalek. And so, and so I will go up, he says. And, and let me just pick up in the story in Exodus chapter 17. And we'll see the courage and the obedience on the part of, of uh, Joshua. So Exodus 17, beginning in verse 9. Tomorrow, Moses says, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff or the rod of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. So he was obedient. He followed. He was courageous. And he, 
he arose to the occasion. While Moses and Aaron and Hur, Aaron was his brother, Hur was his brother-in-law, went up to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held his arms, held his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands because they got tired, the Amalekites were winning. So Moses' hands grew tired. They took a stone and they put it under him and he sat upon it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on his one side, the other on, his, on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Notice that, that Joshua overcame with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll or write it in a book. And as something to be remembered, rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out of the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar there and he called it Yahweh Sidkenu or Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord is our banner, which means that the battles that we are to face in this life are to be, are to be won through the name that's above every other name that the revelation, the covenant revelation names of God and our ultimate revelation covenant name of God is Jesus and that there's power in the name of Jesus and that we, we overcome, that demons tremble at the mention of his name, that we've been given authority in the name of Jesus, that in the name of Jesus, we're to cast out devils and to heal the sick in, in his name. Now, the, the, the wonderful thing about this story is that just as Joshua was to fight the good fight of faith, so we've been called, we've been enlisted to fight the good fight of faith. Only is our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against unseen forces of, of wickedness and darkness. But God is, 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 is more than enough for us in the battle against the powers of darkness. Now, you got to ask yourself, what in the world... Has, has lifting up a rod, lifting up arms, you know, uh, as Moses sat upon the rock with his arms extended and, and, and his brother and brother-in-law held those arms up so that they wouldn't go tired, they prevailed. And Joshua, Joshua defeated Amalek by the, by the sword. The sword that we use, beloved, is obvious. It's not, it's not a sword made out of steel. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The way that Jesus conquered Satan in the wilderness. He said, it is written. And because we, we use the word of God as the sword of the spirit, we are able to defeat the enemy in the same way. But I want you to think about, this was just a stick. This was just an ordinary stick, but in the hands of an anointed leader, that ordinary stick becomes powerful. We know that it was, it was laid down upon upon the Egyptian pharaoh's court, and it swallowed up the magician's serpents. That years later, from this point in time, that it would be, it would be laid before the Lord, and it would overnight begin to, to bud leaves and, and grow almonds. Because what is impossible with men is only possible with God. But you think about it strategically. What in the world could you accomplish against a physical force with with the symbol of upraised arms, what, what is that a picture of? Well, it's a picture of us. When we come before God in intercession, and that's what it's a picture of. It's a picture of our dependence upon God, of our, like little children, with, a little while ago, Landon wanted me to hold him during the 
last song in the worship service, and, and I put, picked him up and put him in my arms. He reached out his arms. To, That's what we do to God. In intercession, we, we are saying, we're declaring, God, our childlike dependence upon you in faith, that you will raise us up, that you will lift us up. You know, uh, history proves uh, the records of, of, of Egyptian archaeology have shown that Moses, during the time that he was a prince in Egypt, he led the armies of Pharaoh against the Ethiopians in several successful battles because he was a genius at strategy, because he was gifted in his, in his wisdom and knowledge uh, of being trained in, 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 in battles. But here... Moses lays aside his human ingenuity and his human imagination and strategy, and he, and he does what's absolutely foolish in the sight of men. Beloved, many of the things that God requires us to do may look foolish to the world, but, but here's the truth, that the weapons of our warfare, they're not ordinary. They're not, as the Bible says, they're, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we discover that, that the importance of, of this book of Joshua and the, and, and the story of Joshua is to, is to instruct us on how to lay hold of the promises of God. But I want to say, how important is this book to us? You know? How, how, do, do you, how do you view the Word of God? Do you treasure it? Do you, do you look at the promises of God as well as the warnings of God and treasure it as your most important possession. I hope that, that you do. You, if you do, as that verse of scripture that was up on the video this morning, then you will have good success. Then you will prosper when you meditate upon the word of God. The next picture that we have uh, in this storybook of, of the life of, of Joshua is when Moses laid hands upon Joshua. And the Bible says that the spirit of wisdom came upon Joshua from that day forward. I don't know about you, but I, I am totally aware, especially at moments like this, of my dependence upon the Holy Spirit, how we need to be spirit-filled. In fact, there's an injunction in Scripture, it's an imperative, that we should be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we need, as I said last week in our close, that we need the gift of the Spirit of God to be able to serve God acceptably. God has not left us orphans, but he's deposited within us the greatest gift of all, that we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the excellency of its power may be clearly seen. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And as we sang that song a little while ago, not unto us, but to you be the glory, Lord. One of the ways in which God demonstrates his great grace to us is by giving us this great gift of the Holy Spirit he is not a force. He is, he is not an energy. He is a person. And as a person, listen, not only are we not to neglect the Old Testament, we're not to neglect the Holy Spirit, but to cultivate a relationship with him. Like Joshua, who stood in the presence of God and cultivated that relationship. So we need to be in the presence of God so that we can cultivate that personal and intimate relationship, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit if you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus said that seven times in Revelation 2 and 3 because it's so important. And the gift of the Holy Spirit 
is for you. It's for us. It's to as many as the Lord our God shall call. When on the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter said, this which, what you see and what you hear is the, is the promise of the Holy Spirit that was given by the prophet Joel. And it's for you. It's for your children and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Are you called this morning? Has God called you into his kingdom? Then the gift of the Spirit of God is for you as well. The next picture that we have of Joshua uh, is when Moses sends out the 12 spies to give a reconnaissance of the land, to, to see it, it, what's the land like. Can, can, can you bring back some, some evidence of the land? And many of you probably know the story that out of, out of the 12 spies that were sent out, only two spies came back, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua was one of the men sent who had a good report. They said, yeah, it's true. There are walled cities, but they're not walled to the, to the heavens. That's an exaggeration. Yeah, there are giants in the land. Yes, there, there are giants in the land, but, but they will become breakfast for us. We'll eat right through them because our God is with us. We are able to go up and to possess the land. Let's go up immediately. But the 10 spies who brought a negative report and they said there were giants in the land and, and we are like grasshoppers in, in our sight and, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, now, now how, how would you know that? How would you know that the giants look at you like grasshoppers? But it's an exaggeration. It's a projection of fear. And as a result of that, they began to weep and cry. And all night long, they had just one desire, and that was to go back into Egypt, to go back into bondage. Instead of believing God, in spite of all the miracles. You know, miracles in and of themselves is not, is not sufficient to... To, to provide faith for the hearts of, of God's people. Even, even Jesus, when he said, even though one should rise from the dead, still they will not believe. The fact that you believe this morning, that you believe the promises, is a miracle in and of itself. It's a demonstration of God's calling upon your life to believe for the promises of God. Back around uh, 80 plus years ago, uh, Notre Dame was uh, going to play uh, US, USC, the Trojans, uh, U- University of Southern California, in a game. I, we're talking about a long time ago, eight, eight, 80 plus years ago. And the coach at Notre Dame knew that the Fighting Irish didn't have as good a team as his opponents. And so what he did was he went out into the area of, in, of uh, South Bend, Indiana, because that's where the, the, the team was from. He went out and, and he, 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 he scoured up uh, as many uh, six-foot-five men as he could find, 300 pounds. That was the minimum. He had to get these guys that were six-foot-five and 300 pounds, and he got a whole bunch of them, put them in fighting Irish uniforms, and he lined them up on the day of, of, the, of, of the game. He lined them up on, on the sideline there, and, and though not one of them played, listen, not one of them played in the game, it so produced fear and intimidation when the, when, when the opponents saw, saw these giant men that they already gave up. They quit even before the game started, and, 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 and he was successful. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a softball game. And uh, humbly, humbly, we are undefeated. I say that humbly because pride goes before a fall. But in one of the games that we played, in the first inning, we scored 13 runs. And you, you, you saw it on their face. 
You know, it was 13-0, first inning, you know. And it was like game was over already at that point. Even though there were additional runs that were scored later in the game, they gave up in that first inning. Well, the children of Israel gave up when the report came back that there were giants in the land and there were walled cities and chariots of iron. Yeah, there were chariots of iron. And yeah, there were giants and, and fortified cities. But God is more than enough. And because they did not, they did not believe God that generation perished in the wilderness. Everyone 21 years and older over the next 40 years perished in the wilderness. The only two that survived were Joshua and Caleb. But not only did they survive, they grew stronger over the years. So we pick up in Joshua chapter 1. And, and this is essentially the, the promises I want you to look at with me this morning because what God promised to Joshua, God promises to us. In fact, I want to say that the promises of the new covenant are better promises based upon a better covenant and a better sacrifice. But these promises may be applied to us. So, so, so let's go through some of these verses this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid or servant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Let me just say this, that what God was saying to Joshua, the promises God made to Joshua, he was making to the whole of the nation. And what promises God has made to us in Jesus Christ, they are yes to us, and we say, so be it. So let me say verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does it sound familiar to you? Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of time. In fact, every promise is, 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 can, can be found in written form in the New Testament, but here's the picture of what it looks like. For God to make promises to us that he will not forsake us, he will not fail us, Everything that he's promised will come to pass. He says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. The promise goes back to Abraham. About 500 years before that, God made promise to Abraham that I, I would give you the land, that your descendants would be slaves in a land not theirs, but I will bring them out and with great substance. And God made promises hundreds of years before, and he was fulfilling his promise. And he says this in verse, the, the middle of verse 7, or verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to observe all the law Moses' servant, my, Moses, my, excuse me, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the left nor to the right, or to the right to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the Lord depart out of your mouth. 
Now, not only was the, was the word of God to not depart out of his sight, but out of his speaking as well. So that you might be careful to do everything that's written therein. Obedience, beloved, is always the means by which we receive blessing. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So many of these promises have been reiterated to us in the new covenant. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will not let you down. And what God says to Moses, he says to Joshua. What God says to Joshua, he says to us. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was with Joshua, so I will be with you, living word. The lessons of Joshua, if they teach us anything, it's to instruct us to keep on trusting no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we feel. Yeah, there are giants, but we have a, a giant promise keeper who fulfills his words. This is what it teaches us, that difficulties are merely opportunities for God. Difficulties are merely divine opportunities. New dangers provide new protections. New discouragements leads to new comforts. New hardships lead to new revelations of God's love. New troubles only open the door to new mercies for God to show himself strong on our behalf. Look at how God was encouraging him. He reiterates himself, be of good courage, be strong, only be courageous. Do not fail. I will not fail you. These are promises that make us strong in and of themselves when we believe them. The Bible says that the word of God works effectively in those that believe, who do not receive it as merely the words of men, but as it is indeed in truth the word of God. It works powerfully and effectively as we receive them, yeah, this is God's word written to me. Put, put your name in this, in this particular place or the promise and appropriate the promise. I will not fail you. I will not disappoint you. I will not prove to be unfaithful. What I want you to see is that Joshua lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus said as well, that we are to live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've got a quote from Charles Spurgeon. The uh, first quote, uh, he says, May we be so bold to believe that this encouragement speaks to us. The whole of Scripture speaks in this way to people of like mind as Joshua. No Scripture is a private interpretation. No text has spread itself exclusively upon the person who first received it. God's encouragements are like wells which no man or people can drain dry. They're written for us. Those stories are told on our behalf. Karen was, was praying this morning. Apparently something happened in, in, was it your grandchild's Sunday school the, the other night? And, uh, and, 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 and they were told that there are stories, you know? And there are stories so that children can, can wrap their minds around, but there are also stories so that we can wrap our hearts around and receive the, 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 the benefits of when they come alive in our, in our hearing. Are you a child of God? Then the promise belongs to you. 
You know, what, 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 is, what is your vocation? Maybe you're a truck driver. Then the, then the calling of God is, it's not just for leaders. It's not just for pastors or apostles or prophets. It's for the people of God. It's for all the children of God. Are you a housewife, a mother? Uh, do, do you care for your, your husband and children? Then the promise is for you, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. A businessman, a businesswoman. Then the promise is that God says, that you will have good success if you are careful to do all of my word. God promises you that you will prosper and have good success. But I want you to also listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, now mark you, if you are living for yourself, if you're living for gain, if selfishness be the object of your life, or if you are pursuing an unholy calling, if there is anything about your mode of business which is contrary to the mind or the will of God and sound doctrine, you cannot expect God to aid you in your sin, nor will he do it. Neither can you ask him to pander to your lust or to assist you in the gratification of your own selfishness. But if you can truly say, I live to the glory of God and the life that I lead, I desire to consecrate to his glory entirely, then you may take this promise home to yourself. I will not fail you nor forsake you. You could take that promise to the bank of heaven and the bank of heaven doesn't need a bailout. The bank of heaven, listen, always makes good on its promissory notes. You know, the, the more that I've looked into the subject, now this is like, week nine that we've been looking at the subject of the promise, the more I've, I've seen that it is impossible for anyone to calculate the number of promises from Genesis to Revelation. There are just so many promises that cover every aspect of life and godliness that these promises are what we're supposed to live by. And they're, they're, they're counted upon because of the character of the one who's made these great and precious promises. Next week, I want to continue in our looking at the lessons learned from, from this man, Joshua, and examine some of the other pictures that are found in the book of Joshua. But what we begin to discover, and let me just kind of recap, is this, that, that, that having an ear to hear what God is saying is so important, treasuring the word of God is of paramount importance. Meditating in the word of God, being obedient to all that God has instructed us to do, cultivating a, a heart of service, having that shepherd's heart is so important. Caring about people and serving God and serving one another is the key to, to successful Christian living. I've shared before in the past uh, the story of the ex. Exploration of uh, Ernest Shackleton before, who in 1914 made a daring trip to Antarctica in the South Pole. I, I've told you that story before, but but what many people don't know is that around about that same time, there was a a journey to the North Pole by a Canadian uh, by the name of Stephenson, and the two outcomes couldn't be more diverse or more different. When uh, both ships, the 
endurance in the south and the uh, colic in the, in the north was stuck and packed in ice, uh, it meant the, the very survival of the crew. Uh, their, their, their lives were on the line. But this is, this is what happened. Uh, the band of men in the north under the Canadian captain degenerated into a band of self, selfish, mean-spirited, cutthroated individuals that ended in the death of 11 of the crew members. But in the south, with Shackleton, their crew faced the same problems, the same difficulties, the same dangers, the same cold, the same lack of food, but they worked in teamwork. They sacrificed together, and they were able to do that with good cheer. Now, here's the attitude of the core value of, of both leaders. The, the one Canadian had this as his core value. Getting to the North Pole, he said, is the goal. And that even at the expense of the crew, of the lives of the crew, is secondary to accomplish the goal. But completely opposite was that of Shackleton's point of view. He said this at one particular point in the lowest part of their journey. He said, he, he wrote this, the task was now to secure the safety of every man. The well-being of his team drove him to put others first. He gave up his own boots and his own gloves, and he took the longest, the longest watches during the night. He, through sacrifice, pulled his men together so that they were willing, on the verge of starvation, to, to give to one another for their own survival. That example of sacrificial leadership, I, I think, is one of the things that will come out about the character of Joshua. And I want to say this, that character counts. When it comes to leadership, character counts. Let me kind of fast forward for just one verse of scripture before we close this morning's message. And it really sums up the whole book of Joshua and this whole issue of promises. Joshua 23, verse 14. Now Joshua is an old man, right? This is years later now. We'll just fast forward to the end here. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That is, you know, I'm, I'm ready to leave. You know that with all your heart and soul, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Look at that verse. Not one, Joshua says, of all the promises that God has given you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. I could tell you over the almost 40 years of my walk with God, not one of God's promises to me prophetically or in his word has failed. All has come to pass. God's promises turn dangers and turn difficulties into divine opportunities. Let's say it again, that God's promises turn dangers and difficulties into divine opportunities. If you are hearing anything this morning, God is saying to you individually and to us corporately as a people, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be terrified by your opponents or by your obstacles or adversaries. Why? Because I am with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Amen? Receive that this morning. Internalize that this morning. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, know that you are not facing it alone, that God 
is for you. And if God is for you, who could stand against you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the promises that we have considered in the book of Joshua today, Lord God. We, we thank you for these excellent words of encouragement, oh God, that we can apply to ourselves, just as Spurgeon said so many years ago, that we who want to live for the glory of God, we who desire to, to, to see you magnified and glorified, to not live selfishly, but to live sacrificially for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we can lay hold of these promises and believe you for them. And so we pray this morning, Father, that, that the souls and the hearts of your children would be encouraged, that each man and woman here this morning that's hearing this message will hear the voice of God this morning through this preached word and through that still soft voice, encouraging them, strengthening them, that the power and the enablement comes through through the effective believing the promises of God. So we release, Lord God, now you to do all that you purpose to do, all that you desire to do for us and through us and in us. And we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand together and worship him.